Good evening, everybody. Hola, Hola como estas? That's about all I got. Uh, I, I, I wanted to start off that I, I'm really thankful for today because I found my missing coffee cup. Yay! Yay. What, I, what I love most about this coffee cup, uh, other than it's been missing for two months, it says, all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. Who, who can give me an amen for that one? Amen. amen, right? I think all of us here can agree on that. So, uh, for if you're new here, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm really thankful that you came to join us on Wednesday Night Bible Study. Uh, this is a fun time where we dive into God's Word uh, to learn more about Him. And we've been spending the last several weeks working through uh, the Gospel of Matthew, particularly chapter 5, 6, and 7. And tonight we enter into a new chapter. We are now diving into chapter 6. So let's open a word of prayer. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that it is the cure for our disease. It is the source of our hope. It is the promise for eternal life. And Lord, that you've given us such a blessing by your written word. And Lord, let us be nourishment to our souls. Let us apply it to our lives and let it be the lamp to our feet. Lord, speak through me and open our ears that we may receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, uh, chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through 4 and then 19 to 24. I know, and y'all like, whoa, what's up with that? When I read it and we walk through it, you're going to see how verses 1 through 4 and 19 through 24 play together. Because what I wanted to do was preserve also for next week the Lord's Prayer and Fasting, because prayer and fasting very often go together. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Beware of preaching your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who has sees in secret will reward you in secret. Verse 19, Do not lay up treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But lay up your treasure, yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. No, you cannot serve God and money. Hmm, good stuff. Real quick, if, if you have the sheet in front of you, I hope everyone got the little sheet. I try to make Wednesday nights as helpful as possible. So on the front sheet, 
some questions and the references from tonight on the back side. It has the scripture reference so you can follow along. But if you look on the front, underneath the title where it says, Do Good from the Heart, there's a quote from John Wesley. If anyone grew up in the Methodist tradition or the Wesleyan tradition, you, would, you might know who he is. He was a great pastor, theologian. Uh, he's, he was really devoted to holiness. He made his life about living for God and, and encouraging others to do the same. And he wrote this quote. It says, Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Uh, so my, my hope is that by giving you this quote, you're, you're going to have a little stir inside of you. And I think you can see where tonight's teaching is going to lead us. And I really think this is what Jesus is trying to get to. Right? Because we have gone from the internal. Right? So chapter 5, we talked about the Beatitudes. We talked about the prophecy and the law. We talked about anger. Uh, lust, divorce, um, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemy. There was, there was this movement that Jesus was beginning to paint for us how we, can, how we used to act and respond to how we ought to act and respond inside. Now all of a sudden he's made the shift and he's, I think he's trying to encourage us now to do something outside. Right. So to be clear, Jesus is not saying don't practice righteousness. Uh, some translations might say good works. And not that good works is a bad translation, but the idea is, is that inward bit of being righteous, being holy, doing something as unto God, as opposed to being good works or just good. So depending on your, how your translations read, you might see where it says, beware of practicing good works or beware of practicing good. And the, the righteousness word here is the same, actually, where if you flip back a page and you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, and Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the same word here in the beginning of chapter 6, where it says, Beware of practicing righteousness, is the same word where Jesus says, Unless your righteousness is that of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, you can't enter the kingdom of God. I think some of us are beginning to go say, Pastor Joshua, what you're saying sounds like a little bit like a contradiction. Uh, it might. Because actually, if you go back up two more, a few more verses to verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus isn't contradicting himself. He's just trying to get a standard. Right? There is a way in which we can do good, in which other people see it, and it brings God glory. The other way is that in which we see in the words in verse 2, right? Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, we don't know exactly how big this crowd gets and how fast, but we can assume that from the time Jesus starts talking with he and his disciples that the crowd has begun to grow and people are beginning to come in and the Pharisees have shown up. They were always, always wherever Jesus started teaching and they always had something to say. And Jesus always seemed to call them out. But he saw their acts that they would go into the temple and they would, they would drop the big bags of coins into the coffers and it would rattle and people would look or they would literally have trumpeters 
Like they would go in and they would stand on the street corner and says, Hear ye, hear ye. So it's coming like that. And they would call attention to themselves. See, we're helping this poor man out. Because they wanted the attention. The, the, in verse 1, it says, In order to be seen. It, 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 to, to be seen by others, or depending on how your translations, but it says to be seen. That comes from a Greek word, Thetron, T-H-E-A-T-R-O-N. Anyone want to take a wild guess of what the, that's the root word for? T-H-E-A-T-R-O-N. Any guess? Theater. That's it. The idea is to not make a spectacle of yourselves. This is literally what Jesus is saying, is that you are so interested in making a show of this that it's almost as if people are going to theater to watch you. I like going on missions trips. I really do. And I like taking pictures on missions trips. I have a lot more interest in taking pictures of the scenery and other people doing good as opposed to trying to take a selfie of, oh, look what I'm doing, you know. But there is a balance between trying to get more likes on Instagram or, or show how Christian your life is to the world. Oh, look, it's my Jesus and coffee mug at Bible study, right? I could. <laughs> the, but the, and at the same way, I learned, a, I learned a lesson this week. The same thing that can inspire someone to do good it could be the same thing that inspires someone to jealousy. Right? We, we can, in our minds, I could be doing... My wife, will, she's my lovely wife over there. She, she, she kind of gets amazed on how many scripture verses I have memorized, like how fast I can just recall. And, and, and if she's not careful, she could allow that to become more jealousy or envy as opposed to inspiration. All right, so when we are doing good works, when we're doing good and encouraging people to do good works with us, are we trying to get people to move forward toward, closer to the heart of God, or are we just trying to show people how good we are? And that's, I truly think, in this first couple of verses, really what Jesus is trying to get to. The other side, is, as I was studying this, is that maybe we're trying to show God how good we are. Not that we just want public recognition, but we're trying to somehow earn God's good graces by being really good. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Hey, hey. No? No one knows that song? Just me? Okay, just me. Just me. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. I love how God describes himself. He says, who is not partial and takes no bribe. God, he cares what you do, but your good works will not sway him to love you any more or less. 
you cannot earn your way to heaven based on good works. Right? Jesus is actually beginning to challenge people because this is still at this point in time, good works, the following the law was the way you got to heaven. But with the law came a love relationship that God wanted with his people. Right? God desired that his people would follow him out of obedience because they loved him. Because he, think of all the great things that God did for Israel. He delivered them out of Egypt. He provided manna for 40 years. It says their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. They were always hungry. No livestock had miscarriages. All the children were born healthy. Everything was a blessing for 40 years, even in their disobedience. But what God wanted was a way for them to live differently. And that's why he gave them the law. But there was people saying, God, I hope none of you prayed this. Dear God, if if I get this job, I promise that I'm going to go to church every Sunday and Bible study every Wednesday. God, if I can just make this light, I promise I'm going to spend 30 minutes in scriptures tomorrow. God, if I can just make this. Finish the statement. Paul puts it this way, Romans chapter 2. You want to flip back the other way. Romans chapter 2. It's a short little verse. It's only a handful of words. But it's quite clear. Paul says, For God shows no partiality. It's also a lesson for us to think about who we do good works to. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. Right, I think there is a chance, there's a chance, but I believe y'all are good people who love Jesus, so this isn't you, that be based on the color of someone's skin, you may not want to tell them about Jesus. Or because of their cultural background, you may say, no, they're okay. Or maybe because of the sin they committed, you might know, mm, that's not for me. The gospel is for all people everywhere. That, that's the truth. Right? We are not the ones to be judged. God is the judge, and ultimately it just says God shows no partiality. So he's not looking at the Jews to the Gentiles any different. He, he's not beginning to look at this group because, wow, there's men in this group and women in this group. There's older people in this group and younger people in this group and people of multi-shades of skin. <gasps> well, this group is okay and this group's not. Nope. That's not how God works. God has made his love available for all, to all. But it's a response thing. And it ultimately, it isn't for us to make that decision. Right? If, does, it make, does it make sense? Yeah, there, there is within us a natural partiality. We, we tend to cling to or gravitate towards people like us. And that's okay. That's what makes societies and culture. But as Christians, being looking across this room right now, we are from all different places. And this is what makes the body of Christ so amazing, because in the end days, every tongue shall sing and every knee shall bow before the Lord of Lords. And in that singing, because of the diversity, it's going to be an amazing scene. And so it's not for us to begin to choose to whom we serve or how we serve. And that's where Jesus moves us in verse 3. So back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. The goal becomes that we are to give. It's not a question about giving. We're all actually supposed to give. 
Now, what you give and how much you give and what resources you give is between you and God. It's not written down on the bottom of your page, but if you want to take 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as a great example, and I don't remember the exact verse, but it says, God does not want you to give out of compulsion, but out of the cheerfulness of your heart. Right? You have to make a decision with God versus, am I going to give my money? Or am I going to give my time? Am I going to give of myself? Is God calling me to another place where I'm going to give? But, but it should be done in such a way that it's not drawing attention. Some of you in this room are very affluential. You've, you have worked very hard. You've made a lot of money. And you ought to give out of that in a sacrificial way. Some of you may not have any money at all. But all you might be able to give is your time on your knees. Some of you might be called to missions to go live overseas and go do something and give of your whole self. But how you give comes then your reward. And this is where, again, taking the word reward and looking over to verse 19 where Jesus begins to use the word treasures. We all understand everything on this earth is perishing. Nothing lasts forever. Just look at my grass. Two weeks, a week ago, before the rain came, it was brown. And it's rained for four days, and now it's green. And once it stops raining, it's going to go back brown. Right? The tires on your cars will wear out. The clothes will wear out. Your food pantries will go empty. Your bank accounts will go up and down. All those things in which can vary on earth. So our security should not be in what is here but what is there? Now, does this mean you can't have nice stuff? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Because ultimately, verse 21, I think, makes it clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question isn't about material possessions. The question is, where is your heart? Is your heart longing to serve God and God has made you uh, very successful that you can give of yourself that I have a friend, very dear friend of mine. He quit his, he sold his company and started an orphanage in the Dominican Republic because that's where his heart is. He said, I can't work and run this orphanage. So he left the business and went headstrong into this orphanage because more important was this, the children than his stuff. Right? You can have it so long as it's not overtaking you. You don't have to turn there, but real quick, from 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John writes this, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from this world. This is what we all have to wrestle with every single day. And Jesus knows this. This is not escaping him. Jesus was, for the most part of his adult life, homeless. He traveled from town to town, only eating that which was provided by the people around him. He he gave of his whole self so that we could have eternal life. Many of the apostles who followed after him gave up everything. Many of them were executed and imprisoned and tortured because of the love of Jesus so that we could have this text, so that we can know the love that God has for us. 
in Second Samuel chapter or Second Samuel chapter eleven, it basically comes down to God loves, desires obedience and not sacrifice. But I'd like us all to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter two. So if you know where Psalms is, which is about the middle of the Bible, and you go right, so you hit Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. My challenge to each and every one of you, if you have not read the entirety of Ecclesiastes, which is 12 chapters, read it this week. Chapter 2. It's all good. That's why I'm here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. We're not reading the whole thing because it's very long, but I would like to just point a couple verses out. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. And he said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Sounds really good, right? Enjoy yourself. And then he writes, but behold, this also was vanity. The Greek word here, or the Hebrew word here is habal, H-A-B-A-L. It literally means vapor. English, we talked about vanity because vanity is fleeting. Vanity is like beauty. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Eventually, gravity wins. Eventually, age overcomes beauty. All right, that's why we say age before beauty. But Solomon, the wisest man in the world, the richest man probably in the history of the world, found himself in a place where he's like, you know what, I'm going to just try to figure it all out. And he puts himself to pleasure, as we just read. He puts himself to wisdom and knowledge. And, and as you read, he, he, he never forsook anything that he ever wanted. And in the end, if you read down in verse 13 and 14, he comes to this conclusion. He says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I have perceived the same event happening to all of them. And what he's seeing is, as Solomon writes this, he's beginning to see how all his ways were either pushing him or pulling him towards God or pushing him away. You know, as he begins to describe, he talks about the, the wine vats he dug and the orchards he grew and the male and female servants and the singers. And I mean, Solomon had 700 wives for crying out loud. I don't know. Seems a little excessive. I'm good with one. And that's all I want. I'm very smart. Thank you, Jesus. But as, as you look at Solomon's life, and unfortunately, as great as Solomon began his kingly reign, he built the temple and he wrote some great proverbs and he did some great stuff. In the end, says that the wives that he had taken actually had drawn his heart away from the Lord and he became cold. Right? He had actually gotten caught up in the lifestyle that he's actually telling his sons not to get in. That there, there's a warning here throughout that all of this is vanity. It, it's, it's not that it's, we shouldn't work hard. It's not that we shouldn't do good things. But if all we're trying to do is satisfy ourselves with the things here on earth, it will leave us empty. 
Back to Matthew. Verse 23. Or 22. Right? The eyes are the lamp of the body, so your eyes is healthy. Your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23. But if your eyes are bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness. Brothers and sisters... We live in probably one of the most influential ages ever. And the problem is, is that the influence we carry around in our pockets. And and we just tend to stand and stare and watch. The images flash in our minds, the, the music we listen to, the videos we watch, the images we see, the articles we read, every ounce of it. Every letter, every dot, every iota influences us, either towards God or away from Him. You know, we've come into an age, and some of you might be old enough to know that at one point you had one television in the home and you turned a dial on the television, that it turned on a certain time in the morning and then turned, signed off at a certain time at night, that there wasn't this constant access. But today we now have it bombarding us all over the screens are everywhere i and and the temptation to get sucked in is really easy because i do think that each and every one of us enjoy pleasure i I don't think there's many of us in here that actually like pain i i'd be really hard pressed to believe that we go yeah pain let's break my arm Right? We, we actually want to be soothed. That's why we have drugstores on every corner. That's why we have opiate problems and a long list of other things that we try to medicate ourselves because we don't want to be in pain. And, and we want to in, be pleased and find pleasure. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. I think there is a way that we can enjoy life. We, we just laughed a moment ago. I think as your tables get to know one another, you find ways to enjoy good coffee or good chicken wings or good time together. There are things in which we can really enjoy and that we can laugh and celebrate and sing like birthdays and weddings and babies' births, etc., But the influence of this world is coming after us whether we like it or not. It's coming at us at a, at a rate that's increasing because we just want more satisfaction. I think, by chance, the microwave might be the worst invention ever made. We, we have, we, it changed our mentality because at one point it took me 25 minutes or so to make a pizza, and now I can have a Hot Pocket in two and a half. Right, because we get that instant gratification and we want more and faster and faster. We get mad when it takes three minutes to get our food at a fast food restaurant when we're sitting in our car that we paid with a piece of plastic from money in an account that's electronic. So my question is, is what is 
influencing? What are you ingesting? What are you seeing? How is it, how is it moving you? Because in the end, we can, only serve two, we can only serve one master. No man can serve two. You cannot serve this world and you cannot serve God at the same time. There are, there are only two camps in this world. There's God's camp and there's Satan's camp. And Satan owns the fence, so you can't be straddling it. If you got to hear the, the message this weekend, if you didn't get to hear the message this weekend, I encourage you to, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot this morning. And, and, he, and he shared some things. He, he shared that it's not a hunger problem. There are plenty of people in this world who are hungry, who are in need of Jesus. The message is available. It's here in almost every language. It's not a resource problem because God owns the cattle on 10,000 hills, although I don't know what that actually accounts to. The question is a how problem. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. You still have your Bible. I know you have your Bibles. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. This verse is really impactful for my wife and I, and I hope it has a similar impact for you. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start at verse 31. Verse 31 reads, When the Son of Man came in His glory. So Jesus is coming back. This is Jesus, the Son of Man. He has died. He was crucified on a cross, buried in a grave, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and He's coming back. So this is when Jesus is coming back. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, so He will not be alone. It will be a big event. While he sits on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the peoples one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Again, two camps. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in the prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. You want to know what God's heart is? That. That's our what. That's what we're supposed to do. God's message, loud and clear. There's a what. So, so we, none of us should ever go, well, God, what do you want me to do? That. Right there is your answer. Why do we do it? Because God said so. And not just that, because out of the love of God, it compels us to love and good works. Who's called to do it? The body of Christ. What are we called to do to take care of the least of these? The question I ask for you tonight is how? How has God called you to take care of the least of these. Some of you, as we discussed, have money coming out your ears. Praise be to God. Invest in missionaries. Do good work with the money. 
Some of you have hands that can build or, or hearts that can care or minds that can listen and tend. Each of us have something that burns inside of our hearts saying, I love. You got to fill in the blank. Right? I, I have a deep passion for the church. Now, I, I want the church to be healthy. I want the church to be active. I want each of you. This is why I'm here. This is why I do this. Because I can't do it alone. But if I can encourage you and inspire you to go serve in a nursing home. Or go love and kids in the inner city. Or go take care of the homeless. Or go make food for the hungry. Or make donations for the Bahamas. Or whatever the case might be that your heart says, yes, I'm doing that. And you dedicate your whole heart to it. You can stand before God and you can say, I did this for you. So in November, we're going to do a serve opportunity as a group. We're going to do a serve Saturday. It may not be on the second Saturday, but I'd like us all to come together as a group and serve. There's a great ministry called Feeding Tampa Bay that should actually house all of us that we can all sign up and go and do. Um, But I want to encourage us to actually get out and go and serve. Because that will bring joy to God's heart. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you so much for your love, mercy, and your grace. I thank you for what you've done and what you're doing. Allow your word to be nourishment to our hearts and soul. Lead us and guide us in paths of righteousness. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.